Today, I'm so delighted to be speaking with Samantha Renk. I've been following her for a while and I was so looking forward to our chat, especially if it's anything like the emails we've been exchanging. There is a serious possibility for us both to be in stitches. We talk about her personal journey of shooting for the stars whilst living with a disability and the incredible work she does to shine a light on equality for all. Samantha's zest for life has seen her break down barriers at every stage of her life and go on to achieve many of her dreams against all the odds. Speaking to Samantha left me feeling full of admiration for a woman with huge tenacity, courage and passion and I can't wait for everyone to hear her story. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Back in 2006, I founded Not On The High Street from the kitchen table and since then I've gone on to launch Holly & Co. I'm the UK ambassador of Creative Small Businesses and I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. My dream is to help everybody start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the best way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to my favourite small businesses, entrepreneurs and those who simply inspire me and asked them to share theirs. With thanks to NatWest, who have helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Hi, Sam. You know, it's so lovely to see you. And I wish actually we were together, but because of our circumstances, we can't be. I'm here recording actually in my office, but I know during lockdown, you moved back to Lancashire to be with your mum, but you're now back in London. Is that where you are now? Yeah, I'm now in trendy Shoreditch, far too trendy for myself. I think now that I'm 34, I just look at all these young 20 year olds and I'm like, put a cardigan on, put a jacket on, stop drinking so much. So I probably shouldn't really be living in this amazing part of London, but I am. But yeah, I did return home to lovely Lancashire. That's where my mum and stepdad live. And I took that decision because I was, I mean, I hate the word vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I use my common sense. And I think that's what I do throughout my life, really, just use my noggin. And I thought, you know what, I could do with some comfort from Mama Rank, uh, who doesn't like to go home and get fed by their mother. So yeah, I kind of went back home. The only issue there was, even though it was great, I was I treated it a little bit like a spa holiday going <laughs> home. Um, it's beautiful. Honestly, it's in the countryside. So I was a, at first I was a little bit like, what is this green? What is that noise? Oh, it's birds. You know, very different to Shoreditch. I've got building work behind my flat. I get woken up on a Saturday to a pneumatic drill. And then at my mum's, I've got a, a rooster in the back garden, you know, like making noises. So it was all very like lovely. However, However, I think for anybody going back home, it's just a little bit of a nightmare, particularly when you, mm. you know, you're independent and you're an adult and you, I'm single, I'm so stuck in my ways. I think I'm going to be like a spinster forever, which I'm actually quite happy with. But then going back and being in someone else's environment. But the main obstacle for me really was I am a full time wheelchair user and my mum and stepdad's home is not accessible whatsoever. Mm. You know what it's like? Typical converted country barn. Yeah. Oh, you've got to step here and you've got to step there. And then you, you know, even to 
get into the bath, there's like a step and the bathroom isn't big enough for my wheelchair. And so I became very codependent again with my mother. And that was one of the reasons why I actually left Lancashire and moved to London eight years ago was because of this rather toxic codependent relationship. So for that, for me, it was a challenge. And I think I definitely just had to succumb to the fact that, you know, I hate to use the word burden because parents, you know, they love their children, but I did. I felt a bit like a burden. I felt like my independence had been absolutely stripped. You've had this period of time where you didn't feel that way. So I can imagine that was a challenge in itself. And talking of this, I'd like to go back to people's childhood and, and start from the beginning because you were born in Germany and you were born with osteogenesis imperfecta, which is also known as brittle bone disease. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about this condition for anyone listening who's not aware of it? It's obviously to do with my bones. I've fractured over 200 bones in my lifetime, but it isn't actually a calcium deficiency. It's a collagen deficiency. So I do not have type 1 collagen in my body. So that can be found obviously predominantly in my bones. It's found in our skin, our arteries, our hair, our nails. But because our skeleton makes up so much of our body that's why it kind of manifests more within the skeleton with bone deformities and and fractures so yeah I was born in Germany my mum was a uh, nurse my father was in the army they kind of met on the barracks which I always think is kind of quite romantic quite Romeo and Juliet quite top gun isn't yeah. it yeah I mean my dad I'm, I'm allowed to say this but my dad was a dish like he really was quite attractive blonde like very he used to be a jockey as well so he was very slender very athletic this kind of like you know mustache going on it was like all very kind of erotica you know of the 70s and 80s can I say that about my father yeah I've just done it totally fancy my dad um, <laughs> and I was gonna say and he's, he's dead now anyway so I can say that but that just kind of makes it even worse. Oh my God, I've not even had any wine today. <laughs> oh my goodness, this is just brilliant. So your very own Tom Cruise, yeah, really? Yes, yes. That's your dad, yes. <laughs> That's me dad. So they met and they had my sister Stephanie who is non-disabled and then I come along and obviously back then medical advancements weren't as they are now and nothing suspicious cropped up to indicate that I would be born with osteogenesis. So I had a natural delivery and unfortunately, you know, I was pulled out naturally and everything got broken and I think they whisked me away to a completely different hospital in Munster and and basically told my parents to pray for me and it wasn't going to be good. And I always say that my story is very similar to anyone born with an impairment. Babies are often born and the first words that their parents hear is, I'm so sorry, so sorry, there's something wrong with your baby. Mm. And I just think, my goodness me, who has the right to kind of put a black mark next to a baby? First of all, how terrifying that must have been for my parents, not expecting it. And then just were told that even if I were to survive, my life quality would be absolutely diminished. You know, there was no hope and and kind of that was that. Was there any advice for your parents to help navigate this? Did they feel alone? I'm assuming so. I mean, to be honest, like I just mentioned, you know, my father took it the worst. He was a typical man, the breadwinner. He felt like he was to blame. So osteogenesis, there's quite a few different types, but I've got type 3. So it's normally hereditary. I have 50-50 chance of passing it on to my own children. But for me, type 3 is a different mutation. So just a complete fluke. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, my father just kind of took that burden on with him that he felt like it was him that did it. And 
I mean, that's quite sad. He died when I was nine. He died of a sort of brain hemorrhage, you know, so I, we didn't have that relationship where I, we could talk that openly. About two years ago, um, one of his best friends from the army, Andy, he came over and visited me in London and, um, you know, we sat over a few drinks and he told me, you know, as soon as I was born a few hours later, he went to go and visit him and they sat there on the sofa, both cracked open a beer and my father sobbed. Mm. And then as soon as he sobbed, after he got it out of the way, he said, no, my baby's going to survive. And he that was it then. He was just like a bull in a china shop. So I think it was a strange paradox because on the one hand, my dad shouldered this heavy guilt, I suppose that's what I would call it. And then on the other hand, he was the fire that gave me... Can-do attitude. Exactly. So it was sad that he left so early. He was only 38. I mean, that's no kind of age. And I kind of wish I would have um, talked to him. And I wish he would see what how successful I am now and, and how, you know, amazing my life is now. Maybe that would have taken some of that hurt away that he was shouldering. It's amazing, this story, because your parents moved to the UK when you were just a baby mm. and your family settled in Lancashire, mm-hmm. which is where you grew up. And... You had this early childhood and I know you attended mainstream mm-hmm. school during these early years. And I read that because your older sister, Stephanie, you knew that there was something different from that early age mm-hmm. and that school sort of helped you definitely realise that. Tell me about this. So before I went to school, I was put in what we would call a special school. And I remember I used to get picked up on a bus and most of the other children were very different from me in the sense that they were neurodiverse, they had learning disabilities, whereas I have a physical disability. And I and I felt quite isolated with that because even communicating, I found very different because we were different levels in many, many ways. And I remember being on this bus in the morning, I used to drive past the school that I was supposed to be going to, the primary school. And I always used to like irk me. I even being like five, it used to be annoy me. I was only there a couple of months and then they realised it wasn't right for me. And it was even back then, I even remember thinking like, yeah, why would you put me here? Mm. You know, so we, I started infant school in a mainstream infant school. And it's really funny because even though in many respects, I think that it's done me well to be integrated. It's done my the people I grew up with had to have someone in their class with a disability. You know, it works both ways. I've actually recently been connecting with a few other people with osteogenesis in Canada and they had the same severity as me, but they all went to what we call, again, special schools and they said they loved it Mm. because they actually learned a lot about, like, how just to live day to day, like disabled hacks, you know, if you can't reach that, how am I going to get it? So they learned all that. I only became independent, you know, in my 20s. So there's swings and roundabouts in this one, isn't there? There really, really is. You lost your father um, when you were 10 or was it nine years old, did you just say? I always used to say it was 10 and then I'm rubbish at maths. I failed GCSE maths. And then I, I actually like worked it out properly. I was like, oh my God, yeah, I was nine. It must have been such a traumatic thing to go through. Mm. You also moved home and you changed schools and you were separated from your sister for the first time. Mm. I just was thinking about you as a young girl, the amount of change that you were dealing with, you know, new school, 
this tragedy. Mm. This experience must have been pretty full on in your life. Do you think back to it now? Yeah, I mean, it was a very dark time. I mean, we had a house up for sale. We were, as a family, before Dad died, we were moving to New Zealand. We've got family in New Zealand. And then, obviously, that all just went tits up. And the school that I was supposed to go to with my sister, they turned around and said, no, sorry, you know, we don't want to put a lift in anymore. You know, so it was a big change. And my mum also struggled. She went through a very, very dark depression. You know, I don't really want to talk too much about that because obviously it's Mm. not my story to tell, but that was absolutely one of the darkest times to see my mum go through. It's difficult, isn't it? Because it only feels like yesterday, all that trauma, I suppose. Um, And I'm not going to say this whole bullshit of, oh, but it made me the person I am today. Do I want my father to have died? No, of course not. Mm. Did I want to see my mum, you know, battling with being so, so, so depressed after all that? No. Did I want to go to a school where no one really warmed to me because I was a new girl in the wheelchair? You know, so, but equally, that is the cards that I got dealt. And I've always been this very innate, strong character. So I think... I've only been given what I can kind of handle. Yeah. You know, it has shaped who I am. And I, and for me, being able to come on you know, a podcast and talk to you and share my story can only be a positive thing because I can't be the only person who has gone through bereavement as a child, bullying as a child, you know, all these kind of mm. big things in my life. And I actually love sharing with other people. I love being able to be very open. I've always been said that, I'm a bit of a guinea pig. <laughs> I like to be that person that will say it as it is. And that is very much where I am now with my campaigning. You know, there's nothing really that I won't talk about because I know my confidence and my kind of cheekiness and sassiness is a gift. And not everyone has that, particularly when, you know, you have a disability, or you carry around these kind of internalised ableism and internalized bias you know about yourself and you can feel like shit because you're disabled and um, I see that a lot with the people that I interact with you know normally much younger than me so I like to just be like hey my life hasn't been perfect it's been proper shit at times and not always related to my disability which is often you know a misconception and I'm still smashing it. You really are. And I think you're so right. You can look at it as, you know, bullshit. You know, you wouldn't have wished any of those things on your younger self. Mm-mm. At the same time, you have been dealt these cards and actually we are then who we are. Mm. We grow through these things, whether we wanted it or not. Because I read that you adored acting when you were younger and that you attended an acting club and that a scout was looking to look for talent for a role in Oliver in the West End. Yeah. And your teacher took you aside and said that people like you wouldn't be given that opportunity. I mean, what a mistake, eh? (laughs) And that now, in hindsight, you agree with what she was saying to you, actually, because, you know, all these years later, Mm. we're still seeing such a tiny proportion of disabled talent on our screens. That must have been devastating for you to hear it, but potentially was it the fire in your belly to think (laughs) you haven't seen anything yet? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I did love drama. My sister gave me that bug. My sister was one of them really annoying people that you kind of love to hate. Like she was pretty, she was head girl, she was good at sports, she did judo, gymnastics, she was cross-country champion. And and like literally it was like, oh God, and then she'd walk into an exam. She's like, oh, "Oh, you know, I've just like smoked a joint. I'm going 
want to go and take my GCSEs. Oh, I got an A star. You know what I mean? Like really, really like annoying. There's me like literally not even being able to get a C on my maths exam, you know? Oh my God. You know, my poor sister, God bless her. I talk about my sister a lot. Like I write about her, I talk about her on TV and my sister just goes, oh, Samantha, do you have to like talk about me? And I'm like, yep, you are part of my life. So I'm going to tell everyone about you. God bless her. But I don't tell her beforehand and then she'll turn the telly on and I'm like, yes, my sister said this when I was younger. She's like, oh dear God. <laughs> but yeah, so my sister... My sister definitely gave me that bug and I was I was great at drama at school. Um, it just gave me that confidence. Like, I love being the centre of attention. Maybe it's like borderline narcissistic, but I just love it. I'm like, me, 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 me. And I, and the, But that's been a very much a coping mechanism because you can mm. be, become quite forgotten about when you have a disability. I'm mm. not saying that, that bravado, that isn't false. You know, I genuinely am just a loud, confident person. And again, it goes back to this, I'm, I'm blessed to have that. But no, she gave me the bug for it. I did some, you know, outside of school classes, loved them. And, yeah, the teacher did say that. I think she also said, like, there was a couple of kids from BAME. I hate that terminology as well. But um, ethnic minorities backgrounds. And, mm-hmm. and and she basically said that as well. And you've got to put it into perspective. I was about 15, 16. Family life at home was still rocked from my dad's passing, even those years later. You know, there was a lot of things that just went mm-hmm. down the swan, you know what I mean? Just went wrong. And then also you're dealing with, oh, my God, my boobs aren't big and I've got a spot and that boy kissed another girl at the school disco and, you know, all that angst going on. Mm-hmm. I was like, right, OK, I just I'm going to quit. I didn't really have that, I'll prove you wrong moment. I was very defeatist, you know, and I think sometimes people don't understand how strong people's words, other people's words can be. And I'd like to say that, you know, because it would make a good book in the sense that I'd like story. to say, that, yeah, good story that I'd be like, yes, and I champion, but I didn't. I went down a completely different path. I studied languages. I mean, to be fair, when I went to college, I did want to take up drama and they turned around and said to me, if you don't do dance with drama we won't pass you. I just didn't feel confident enough as a wheelchair user to do dance, you know. So that was another hurdle. I was like, well, sod it. I just won't bother doing drama anymore. And, yeah, I went down a different path. I studied French, German, sociology and European studies at Lancaster University. I had a very big spinal operation during my degree. I was really quite ill for, like, I had, like, a gap year. I have got all my spine fused. Yeah, I've got scoliosis, which is, um, you know, another kind of symptom of osteogenesis. And uh, they only gave me till about like 40 years to live, which was a bit like, what? Holy crap. So I had this massive operation. Then I kind of was like, oh, my God, I've finished my degree. What do I do now? And I went to do a postgrad. So I trained as a language teacher. So I went down a very, very different path. Yes. Acting was very much not at the forefront of my, you know, mind or life whatsoever until I actually came to London. It's just remarkable, actually, because you think about some of the things that you've gone through. And as you said, you sort of, you allowed the world to sort of manipulate what you were going to do or weren't going to do. Mm -hmm. One of the things I know you feel very strongly about is not being called an inspiration Mm. because it implies that having a disability is a worst case scenario. Mm. Is this something that you still feel? Because there must be a lot of stereotypes, I suppose, already in your story that have had to be addressed over the years. Yes. So inspirational porn, as it's called, (laughs) it was coined by, I know I love it, 
It was coined by a lady called Stella Young, an Australian lady. She had the same condition as me. Unfortunately, she passed away a few years ago, uh, very suddenly from it. But she did a TEDx talk and she basically said that, you know, this inspirational porn, people put disabled people in two categories. We're either burden bottom feeder, you know, benefits groungers who don't do anything or we're Paralympian, inspirational, amazing people. Mm -hmm. But it's that whole thing of a friend of mine went to a conference the other week. He's a wheelchair user. And someone just came up to him and went, oh, you really inspire me. And he was like, you don't even know who the fuck I am because I've just rocked up in a wheelchair. And that's what I mean by inspirational porn. Yeah. If you feel inspired by me because I am successful, I speak languages, I used to be a teacher, you know, I am an activist, feel free, like have a T-shirt with Team Rank, which I think you should totally sell, can I just say. You know what I mean? Like bestseller. <laughs> but don't feel inspired by someone disabled because in your mind you think people have said to me I would want to kill myself if I were like you mm. so think about why you feel inspired by that person with a disability yes don't kind of compare your life to someone disabled like for me I don't know any different yeah this is my life so how is that inspirational not being able to walk, I've never known how to walk. Yeah. So why is it inspirational that I get up? I don't look at my wheelchair every morning and think, oh, God, oh, how terrible. I get up and go, shit, I need to feed the cats. Yes. You know, or it stinks of cat poo. Let's clean that up. That's what goes through my mind every morning. In the last series, I gave you the chance to win a one-to-one -one mentoring session with me, and I am thrilled that I'm doing the same this time. Plus, there'll be 10 opportunities to win specially tailored business mentoring sessions from the NatWest Entrepreneurship Managers. This team have coached tens of thousands of startups and business owners across the country, so they know their stuff. To be in with a chance to win, all you need to do is sign up to the NatWest Business Builder using our code. The Business Builder is a completely free e-learning site full of information and advice covering everything from well-being to finance. Head to natwestbusinesshub.com forward slash Holly Tucker for all the details. Now, as you know, each week we run a competition with NatWest, who give away their ad break to small businesses and independents. They truly believe in the power of small and want to give you the opportunity to showcase your business to tens of thousands of listeners. So without further ado, let me hand over to this week's NatWest Independent Ad Break winner. Sometimes I think we all struggle to find the right words or know what to say in a certain situation or how to say it. So my range of cards is about helping to put you into words by starting you off along the right lines. The cards come in all colours of the rainbow and cover all sorts of sentiments like supporting someone through sadness or mental health and loads of just because cards to say things like this is to celebrate the very loveliness of you. You're the colours to my life. You make my world a better place which at the moment I think we all need. I get lots of positive feedback from people saying thank you for helping me put into words what was inside my head, but I didn't know how to say it. And that's really nice for me to hear. It would be amazing if you could support my small business by following me on Instagram at The Right Lines Cards. It would be even better if you'd go to my website, therightlines.co.uk and buy one of my cards to send to someone. I'd be super grateful and my three kids would be delighted because they would love a Nintendo Switch for Christmas and it might help me pay for that. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Holly and & Co. And thank you, NatWest. 
If you'd like to take NatWest up on their generosity and be heard by tens of thousands of people, we've created more information on what we're looking for at our website, holly.co. Now, let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. Going back to your education, because you left school and obviously you said you went to uni, you did a postgrad and secondary education and you moved into the world of teaching. What was it like to be back at school again, but this time as the teacher? I always joke and go, I left teaching because I hated kids. And that wasn't, you know, like the kids were actually the best part. I actually found the other teachers and the other adults to be the worst. You know, I found it a very toxic environment, to be completely honest. Mm. You know, I had teachers being very disrespectful to me, you know, calling me Sam instead of Miss Rank, undermining me, infantilizing me, thinking that I was incapable, which was just blew my mind. I think a lot of teachers, they go down that path of they've never done anything else but teach. And you've become in this environment that is like a bit of a bullying environment. And it can be very, a lot of the adults started to behave like the children. And I was the same as everyone else, yet they weren't wanting to invest in me. (laughs) <laughs> this sounds really dramatic as well. So I used to get um, a taxi to work. Uh, I used to stay in my wheelchair and we had a crash on the motorway. So I was out of work for 10 weeks. And it was like all of a sudden when I came back, oh, shit, she's got a disability. Oh, and we haven't got these provisions in place for her. So they started just making my life really rather complicated. You know, I couldn't get to the classrooms that I needed to get to because they, they were upstairs and they didn't have the equipment for fire escapes and all sorts of stuff. And for me, I was like, I deserve better yes. and I'm I'm on this earth to do better things. And I know that sounds a bit odd because, you know, teaching and imparting wisdom and seeing kids' faces light up when they get something. And, and it, you know, I, I was a good bloody teacher. I really was. The kids really respected me and that's because I respected them. Yes. You know, if I couldn't reach the blackboard, I got the kids to write on the blackboard for me. You know, I used to get some of the kids to sit on the tables at the back because they couldn't see me. We had this mutual respect and that's why I never really had any problems with my teaching. It's this whole attitude towards disability. I was a little bit, um, when you just don't feel like you fit in in a small town and I always loved big city and also things at home, you know, I was becoming more toxic with my mother and that codependent relationship and I was just like, my God, like... It all felt a bit suffocating. Yeah, it did. Tell you a very quick story. I remember I met this guy online and I thought you know, I wanted to have a little bit of hanky-panky. Me and my best friend Laura had to instigate so my mum wouldn't come home. We had to instigate like this whole thing of where I was and how to keep my mum away. But I was 23 and I'm like, these are the things that I was doing as a 23-year-old. It's like to ensure that I got a little bit of hanky-panky. Sorry, mum, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, that's what she was doing, mum. She found the condom a few <laughs> weeks later, which was really embarrassing, not my finest moment. Well, there, what are you going to do? <laughs> What are you going to do? I mean, at this same time as the hanky-panky, you <laughs> pursued another one of your passions in life to hanky-panky, um, your work <laughs> with charities. Yes. Initially as a trustee for the Brittle Bones Society, mm-hmm. but obviously that's a charity very close to your heart. Has it been empowering to have that voice? And have you been able to share the experiences you've been through in your life with others in that similar situation. I mean, was that your main objective to really, as you said, you feel blessed with your personality? Mm-hmm. Was that sort of a calling of yours? Most definitely. I mean, up until that point of becoming a trustee, I didn't really know anyone disabled and I didn't actually want to know. Mm-hmm. Even though, you know, on the, on the surface, I was very self-assured, I still kind of 
internalized all of these negative feelings towards disability. And when you've been labeled something, it can be very hard to negate against that. So becoming a trustee for the Brittle Bone Society, I felt like my life just started. You know, I was all of a sudden in a room at our annual general meeting. You know, you can imagine in a hotel with like 500 people that kind of look similar to me, Mm. you know, and all the wheelchair users. And it was like... Overwhelming. Yeah, they didn't care. You know, they didn't care if they wanted to lie on the floor, get out their wheelchair. Just being in that environment where everyone just could be themselves was like, you guys are amazing, which must mean that I'm pretty amazing. Why am I not doing more? for this community who felt more like family than any of my non-disabled friends. And that's not to, you know, say that my non-disabled friends were not good support network and amazing individuals. It's just on a very different level, you know, when you don't have to explain yourself and you never feel like a burden. Yes. I mean, it's weird to think I'm a role model. It's weird to think that people look to me. Actually, just today, just before we were speaking, I was named the third most influential disabled person in the UK by the Shaw Trust. Oh, my God goodness. Yeah, so that just happened today. I'm saluting you. This is amazing news here. I'm going to get you a um, a rosette. This is, you know what the thing that strikes me is that we all in our lives need to find our community. Mm. It feels like that moment in time was that moment you just went, crikey, I've kept myself away from this community Mm. for whatever reasons in your mind. And actually, I can be who I am. Mm -hmm. I don't have to explain it. It's almost like telepathy is going on here. And I think talking about small businesses and those who inspire me and entrepreneurial sort of mindsets, other people feel that, you know, when they meet that group and they think, crikey, yes, you're finishing off my every other word. You're having that experience. But at that time when you found this, you'd also never lost your burning desire to act or perform. Mm. And there was something that really sort of had been shining away in your side of you, I suppose, from since you were a child. And I call it the diamond. You know, we all have this unique diamond inside us. It's an amazing thing that we all have and we've got to find it, um, what you're passionate about. And I can only imagine that your dream felt pretty impossible. As you said, you allowed yourself to think, "Uh -uh, this isn't for me. But you took this decision to move to London. You entered this world of acting and performing where you worried if there was going to be these opportunities. And I mean, you basically were taking on an entire industry that typically doesn't feature people living with disabilities. Mm. Talk to me about this moment. I think, you know, I've always had that fire within me and I've always not understood why people didn't think I was amazing. But, you know, I think meeting other people with disabilities, they gave me the permission to be fabulous, I suppose, which then gave me the courage to pursue acting. And Mm -hmm. I did move to London. Within months, I literally quit my job, moved on my own to London, 200 miles away, nearly gave my mum a heart attack. And I didn't really know anyone. I had one gay best friend, as everyone should. And he took me to a housewarming party. I was the only girl there. We won't go into too much detail about what the party ended up like. But there was a lot of industry people there, as you can imagine. Yeah, all the secrets I hold, I tell you. (laughs) And yeah, so I met Max Barber, who is a producer, director, who is one of my dearest friends now. We actually have a production company together, Born This Way Media. He was fascinated by me. I don't think he'd ever met anyone with a disability who was kind of like me, who was getting down and dirty, you know, yeah. doing Jaeger bombs and just being like crazy and spinning in my wheelchair. <laughs> and I think he really was just fascinated. And he, we got talking and he said, come back and we'll do an audition. I've got an idea. 
And we went and did an audition and I nailed it, obviously. And we came up with this idea to do an indie film called Little Devil, which is loosely based on my life in the sense of coming to London and having that codependent relationship and just being a bit crazy. But then people always underestimated me. So this little indie film quickly turned into a full feature length film. It won some awards. I won Best Actress at the LA Diversity Film Festival. And I suppose, as they say, the rest is history. Now, For me, I do love acting and I probably don't do it still enough as I want to. And that is because representation is still pretty shocking. Mm. I'm a true believer that you need to do what you feel passionate in. And I, I write, I love public speaking. I love my charity work. I love doing all the different things that, you know, I'm starting to produce things now. So for me, yes, Acting will always be there. And if Spielberg knocked on my door, you know, I'd be in the Hollywood Hills. You wouldn't turn him down. Mm, Darling, I'll have to talk to my agent. My diary's quite stacked at the moment. (laughs) In all honesty, (laughs) and I've just recently written about something called the disability price tag. And that's something that's quite serious at the moment in the sense that, you know, there's a lot of upheaval, a lot of people struggling financially. And disabled people are, you know, very much caught in this poverty. We are just multi and uh, incredible people, but we are never really given many opportunities or enough opportunities to shine and be part of society and have successful lives. And I think now my next big campaign work is to ensure that people with disabilities are able to get on the property ladder, are able to be self-sufficient, are able to, you know, if they want a career in, you know, acting, be able to do that without feeling like it's completely out of their reach. There was this moment, which was this groundbreaking Maltesers advert, Mm. and it was aired during the opening ceremony of the Paralympics. And this really was one of the first times that a brand had championed diversity and disability in this way. You must have been very proud to be part of that moment. First of all, I was like, oh my God, they're going to pay me what for being on telly? Hurrah! You know, as a struggling (laughs) actor, I was like, get in. And I didn't actually think how successful it was going to be for me. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is what every actor wants to get, you know. Yes. I mean, even saying that, it was only four years ago, so 2016. And as you said, it was the first of its kind. And even that kind of makes me quite sad if you think about it of course it was fantastic it did open many many doors for me but on the flip side it also exposed me to a lot of hate a lot of discrimination a lot of trolling you know you had huge amount of new fans people absolutely thought it was brilliant Mm. but then you had this trolling and hate speech which is unbelievable. How did you navigate this? I mean, it was a bit of a shock to me because, you know, I surround myself with cheerleaders. I surround myself with people that love me and worship me and think that I'm amazing. So for me, you know, being an adult and then all of a sudden having people that don't even know me targeting me purely because of my disability, it was a shock. And I am quite a sensitive person, even though I am this outgoing, confident person and that's how people see me. I really do care what other people think. I always have, you know, that's one of my kind of insecurities as a child Mm. I always just want to be liked and when all of a sudden people are saying that you're a freak and I should die and I'm not a real human you know these are words that were devastating for me it kind of impacted my mental well-being I actually turned down some work after the commercial because I didn't want to be exposed again you know it's that whole thing of you know you can have a billion positives you can have a billion likes 
But that one comment that's negative, you know, you hone in on that and that eats away at you and that lingers with you. I kind of sat and wallowed and became a bit of a victim for a period. And then I thought, you know what? I'm better than this. I'm stronger than this. You know, thinking back to all the things that we've just been speaking about, I went, right, do you know what, you bastards, I'm going to expose you. And I wrote about it for the Huffington Post. I kind of said, look, this is what's happening to me. Because I think when I told people, they were like, no, surely not. You can't be horrible to a disabled person because they're someone to be pitied or bless them. And it's like, well, actually, people are really horrible to disabled people. And this is why hate crime and hate speech for disabled people goes so underreported because it's just not believed. So I thought, well, here you go. Here's the evidence. Here's the screen grabs. Here's the tweets. Here's the DMs that I've been getting. And I exposed it. And then I got a lot of media coverage from that. And that kind of just made me feel more empowered. I took back control. And I think, you know, that's what, we all should do in life, you know. And that's what you've got to do for certainly for the bullies is taking that control back. And I mean, I'm so glad that you decided to do that, to change the narrative, I suppose. Mm. And, you know, that advert was bloody brilliant. (laughs) But really, it was just the start of the conversation. And I know that you are working really hard to highlight, you know, lots of things and, and an issue that is close to my heart when I talk about the independent high street and things like that is about accessibility you know, issues in shops and spaces and that brands have proper representation of disabled people mm-hmm. and not just in their adverts. Of course. And it was absolutely shocking to read that 75% of disabled people and their families have walked away from UK businesses because of the yeah. lack of accessibility or because of poor customer services. So I know you started a hashtag campaign, mm-hmm. Don't Want Our Cash, yep. to help highlight this <laughs> issue. What advice would you give to people? What changes do people need to make? Really good timing because we have got Purple Tuesday coming up on the 3rd of November and Purple Tuesday is basically an awareness of the Purple Pound. So the Purple Pound is the combined spending power of the disability community and it stands in the UK alone at 240 nine billion pounds so that's an untapped market my goodness purple tuesday is a way that brands can basically go onto their website you can make a pledge to be more accessible and kind of think about the purple pound what's very 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 basic is understand that disability isn't just a wheelchair user you know there's 14 million disabled people in the uk only eight percent are wheelchair users so when you're thinking about making your business more accessible putting a ramp in it might be great for me you know but won't be great for someone who's neurodiverse so understanding that disability comes in very many different shapes and sizes have inclusion and quality training understand what language is appropriate introduce quiet times in your shops if you've got a small um, business where food is involved have you got easy read menus do you use braille for example when i go into a store what am i looking at have you got a lower till Have you got a changing facility that isn't used as a store cupboard, Mm. which is often the Mm. case? One of the biggest things that really pisses me off (laughs) is when I go into a store and I'm asking someone and they don't even talk to me, the the people at the store, they talk to like whoever I'm with. That's a big common mistake. Yes. It's like, hello, I'm the one with the money here. So please, you know, interact with me. And I think 
go onto social media, follow people like myself and then see who I'm following. This is why I love social media. Even though I've just talked about trolling, social media has been a blessing for me in many ways because it gives the platform for people with disabilities who are still told, no, 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 we don't want you. You're too high risk or you're, it's too much faffing to work remotely. Isn't that ironic right now? Irony, my goodness. <laughs> you know, so kind of engage. It's, you know, we've got this movement called Nothing About Us Without Us. So don't go and start making provisions if you've not talked to someone with an actual disability. All year, together with our friends at Three, we're working to make business dreams come true. Share your dreams on social using the hashtag Holly and Co Dreamer and who knows what will happen. Three understands it's been a tough time for businesses, so they're offering their business price promise. A promise that if you find a better deal, they'll beat it. Not only that, I love that they offer up to £500 of benefits from specialist partners to help your business thrive. Head to 3.co.uk forward slash terms for terms and conditions. Now, here's a short story about those that dreamed big and flew. Born in Chicago, one of five siblings, Bobby Brown describes her younger self as insecure and self-conscious. Dabbling with makeup was her favourite pastime and she remembers how it gave her confidence. Even now, she maintains that confidence is true beauty. After graduating from college in Boston with a degree in theatrical makeup and photography, Bobby moved to New York and began to tout her portfolio to modelling agencies and photographers. Makeup in the 80s was bold and extreme with white skin and red lips, but Brown had a vision of healthy skin and natural tones that embraced diversity. When she struggled to find the formulations and colours she wanted, Bobby decided to work with a chemist to help her develop the sort of product she envisioned. A collection of 10 lipsticks in wearable and natural tones soon followed. They were a stark contrast to the colours of the time. Her breakthrough came when a friend, an editor at Glamour magazine, wrote about her new lipsticks. She was flooded with orders. Bobby Brown Essentials was born. Exclusive department store Bergdorf Goodman placed their first order, expecting to sell a hundred in a month. They sold that amount in the first day. Bobby changed the face of beauty by daring to be different. Her vision and courage to go against the grain helped her to reinvent America's image of beauty and achieved her dream that makeup should only enhance and not hide your natural self. Don't forget to share your own business dreams on social using the hashtag Holly and Co Dreamer. And to find out more about their business plans, search Three Means Business. Now, back to Conversations of Inspiration. When we talk about accessibility or we talk about Braille or any of these sorts of things, 
am I right in saying that it is about what you can do mm. and not ignoring it because you don't feel you can do it all? Oh, completely. You know, don't stop because you can't complete mm-hmm. every single tick box of every single part of the menu that you should have. Of course. Because we're worried, we're scared to be seen to not do it all. But it must be about the positive action that we do take. Would you agree with that? 100%. You know, for me and many other disabled people, it's about adapting and we're great at adapting. You know, we understand that the world is very disabling and the world is not going to all of a sudden become 100% equal and all disability friendly. Like, that's just not going to happen. So, for example, if you have a, a website... Just having things like altered text on your website or having the universal logo for disability on your website to say that we have thought about you. We have thought about the purple pound. Mm -hmm. We have thought about Mm -hmm. your needs. You know, Mm -hmm. we might not have absolutely everything, but we are committed to making your experience a little bit better. You know, just having that. Even when we talk about diversity, which has really been, you know, annoys me as well. You know, you see it on TV and they go LGBT, they go BAME, they take everything off and then they forget about disability. It's like, hello, we are here. And don't forget, anyone can become disabled at any point in their life. Yes. Putting small access needs into stores, whether that's having, uh, you know, your website more, you know, with altered text, that's where it changes like the text to speech. That can benefit fit a whole host of us you know accessibility benefits wider society of course it does mums with babies it's got huge reach hasn't it having a ramp that's going to help the elderly that's going to help people with disabilities that's going to be helping your friend bill who fell off his bike and broke his leg yeah do you yeah, know what I mean? absolutely. so don't you see us as a small minority because we really aren't you work tirelessly i know as an ambassador for all these causes that we're talking about your energy is going into really trying to make these differences but you also are an ambassador for the charity's scope you're an experienced speaker you're a columnist you've been a teacher you become an actress and I have often talked about this sort of importance of doing what you love in life and not shying away and you've broken down these barriers and you've achieved things Mm. that a lot of people thought weren't possible. Is it true passion for what you do that drives you forward? Like what is it that keeps you going? I think there's a few things. I think there's definitely an element of proving people wrong, although that is not the overarching drive. It's kind of great sometimes when I'm like, ha-ha, you know, look at me now, because I think everyone's like that. I genuinely, I know it sounds a bit like soft people, I genuinely love life. I think losing a parent because my dad died so young, I kind of feel like I want to live a double life because he lost out. Mm. And also because I kind of want to be remembered. I want to have a mark on this world, a positive mark. You know, I told you I'm a little bit of a narcissist. I want people to be able to, in 30 years after my death, go, oh, yeah, that Samantha Reng, she did something positive. That law got changed because of her. Yes. For me, I do want to have a family. And if my child does have my condition, I want them to live in a much easier world than I lived in. Also, I like pretty things. I would like to have a bespoke home right now. I have to rely on a lot of people because even though I live in a home that's semi-adapted, it's not bespoke. So for me, I'd love to be able to make money, buy a home so that I can be self-sufficient, buy more cats. You know what I mean? So I think like my driving force is very similar to anyone's driving force. You know, I love what I do. Mm. I say that I'm a little bit Mm. like a Del boy. I've got lots of 
fingers in different pies, but that's because it keeps me on my toes. For me, feeling like I'm achieving is like the biggest endorphins ever. I get a real kick out of doing yeah. Even when I'm on bed rest, you know, even when I've had operations, that's when I've started writing. And I was like, oh, shit, I didn't realise I could write. Oh, now I'm writing for the Metro, you know. So I think just feeling like I'm living my best life, that's really cheesy. Ultimately, that's it, isn't it? You know, this podcast is about encapsulating that for everybody. It's keeping busy. It's living your most creative life, allowing yourself to have permission to do things you never thought <laughs> you should be able to do. You know, I never thought I'd ever have a podcast, let alone write. You know, I'm dyslexic, didn't really write until in my 30s. It's having the courage to just go there, isn't it? I could talk to you forever, but I want to ask you, because I end this interview with an analogy of a roller coaster. Certainly, it would be an accessible roller coaster (laughs) for you. And it would certainly be like bright pink, I would say, or something. And I would be in the neon carriage next to you. If you were on that roller coaster and you were traveling at the lowest dip, what would you say that moment was in your life so far? There's been a few. I think... Not feeling worthy enough, not feeling desired, not feeling like I will ever start a family or or feeling ignored. I still have feelings of that now, still get waves of that. And I think as I'm getting older as a woman, will anyone ever love me? Mm -hmm. Will I ever have a family? I think that those are my deepest, darkest moments, because on the other hand, I'm so successful. I'm so smashing it. I'm so happy in so many other ways. And then all of a sudden, wow, I might be in 20 years alone. And I think that is probably my darkest moments when I just can't snap myself out and say, Sam, you're amazing. Mm -hmm. And deep down, you know, Mm -hmm. I do know I shouldn't feel validated by someone, you know, a man loving me or kind of being a mother. But I think, you know, I think when you really want something, and you feel like you really deserve something and it's not really happening for you, but everything else in your life is really happening. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what is going on? I think that's what I really struggle with right now. Thank you for being so honest with that. Mm-hmm. I, I want to ask you, when you travel out of that moment, though, <laughs> and you go up, <laughs> tell me what has been that highest moment for you? There's been many, but I'm very in tune with the universe. And I think the powers that be know that I'm destined for even greater things. And whenever I have very, very dark moments, and I've had dark moments in my life where I've not even wanted to be on this earth anymore, I will be sat there in bed, very, very deep in depression. And all of a sudden, I'll get an email from my agent or someone going, you've just bagged yourself an amazing TV opportunity. Mm. You know, and it always works like that. Whenever I'm feeling the worst of the worst, something will go ping. I don't know whether it's my dad, you know, working his little magic wherever he is, but literally I'll get something fabulous or I've forgotten about doing an interview and it's been months and then all of a sudden someone messages me and goes, oh my God, you're on the front cover of, you know what I mean? Or or something fabulous always happens. And I think that's what I love. And then I kind of just go, all right, all right, I'll get my shit together. Do you know what I mean? That's what the little thing that just sparks me. I love that thought (laughs) that your dad's there with a sort of library of really unbelievable moments. And you know that it's a message, you know, because it is a message because, and I know you know how brilliant this is and you are, but you are, you know, there's few people like you forget your disability. Mm. That is the point of this podcast is Mm -hmm. to capture the incredible people in this country who are 
changing things. They're change makers. Mm -hmm. And that's certainly what I've come away from this wonderful conversation. And (laughs) I love, love, and I want to say it on air, to absolutely commit to asking for your help for my business, whether it's be online and also in my shop, but also just generally, I would love you to help me help those who with disability and a small business and what I can do to help them Mm. as well. So I'd love to just commit to that right now because I think we've got to do more. So that's me definitely committing and and I'll talk to you more. But um, at this point of the podcast, Mm -hmm. this is a moment where I take my glasses off. I can stop (laughs) panicking and, and slightly relax and just ask you to read a letter to your younger self. And I know you've prepared this earlier. I don't know what you're going to say. It's one of my most favourite moments, but I must say you've had me in stitches this entire podcast. So thank you for that. And again, thank you so much from me and everyone listening for sharing part of your soul today with us. Absolute pleasure. And I do apologise, even though I used to be a school teacher, I hate reading out loud. I used to always get the kids to do it, be like, you do it, you do it. So if I stumble, I like, I apologise. I'll do it. You can send it to me and I'll do it. <laughs> Let's give it a go. Okay. So, dear mini, mini Samantha, I just wanted to have a quick word in your ear. No, don't worry, I won't take up too much of your time because I know you are busy playing with your favourite doll, Carmen, and your best friend, Laura, and I wouldn't want to cut short your creativity and extravagant imagination because you will certainly be needing that later on. I just wanted to say that I'm pretty darn proud of you. Now, I don't say that to patronise you. I'm not proud of you simply for existing or living your life. I say this with all sincerity because you've never once wavered, not even a wobble, from what you believed in yourself and how you wanted to live your life. Do you remember that birthday party in infant school? You went dressed up as the Little Mermaid, your favourite character. Mum handmade a tale for you and spent hours crimping your hair. It was a party for another little girl in your class called Samantha. You were about five or six years old and you had been really, really unwell. You begged and begged Mum to let you go, even though you probably shouldn't. She finally gave in. Because like you, she knew you didn't get invited to things very often. Lots of the parents were pretty apprehensive in having a girl with brittle bones at parties or sleepovers. You sat on a chair in the corner, swinging your mermaid tail, whilst the other kids played musical chairs. You weren't upset that you weren't joining in. You were just proud you made it. You were not to be forgotten. And you arrived in style. I'm sorry that people made you feel different from a young age and told you that being different was a bad thing. I'm sorry people overlooked you and made fun of you and mocked you. I'm sorry people scoffed when you said you had aspirations and dreamed big and didn't believe in you. I'm sorry that the doctor at your birth wrote you off within a heartbeat, apologising for your uniqueness. I want to tell you that having a disability is pretty darn magical and that disability is not a dirty word. In fact, your disability has made you more compassionate, more empathetic, more resilient. You are a risk taker and you are a risk assessor. You adapt and you practice gratitude. I'm proud of your tenacity, your courage and your sassiness. You love life and you have passion. You will achieve great things and become a role model to other boys and girls like you. You will leave a positive mark on this world and all of that from someone who many see as a burden. 
I'm gonna cry. I'm gonna cry a little bit. <laughs> like, oh, you made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> me too. I'm really sorry too. You know, I'm bloody sorry <laughs> that it takes so much for people just to be good human beings. Do you know what I mean? I just don't get it. And thank God you were born with this energy and <laughs> sassiness and confidence. Thank God, because you're going to do so much to change us, you know? And I, for one, I want to be right there and just say, you know, anyone listening, please listen, because this is just unbelievable. And I'm so proud to have had this interview with you. And I hope to, if you would allow me to stay in contact with you. And <laughs> Of course. It's just been unbelievable. And thank you so much for being so open and honest. And I wish you everything, by the way. <laughs> thank you. All your dreams. <laughs> And that home. You're going to be like an eccentric cat lady, though. I do know that. You're going to have so many cats everywhere, aren't you? Yeah. And a goat. Oh, and a goat, yeah. <laughs> Bless you for your time today. I need some wine. Absolutely, that's what I need. It's these moments where I'm like, ah, Sauvignon Blanc, that's why you were created, huh? Thank you so much for your time today and for being just um, unbelievable. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you. Before you go, don't forget that to be in with a chance to win a 90-minute mentoring session with me, all you need to do is sign up to NatWest's Business Builder. It's packed full of videos and advice to help you build your business and give you the tools you need. To find out more, head to natwestbusinesshub.com forward slash Holly Tucker. And if you've enjoyed this episode, if it's helped you along your journey or inspired you, would you mind rating and reviewing? Your support means the world to me. It really does spread the word and will help inspire even more people to build a life they love. And if you want to hear all our latest news, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter, Holly's Desk Notes, over at holly.co.